I want you to please go ahead and, and open your Bibles, if they're not already open, to the fourth chapter of Philippians. I hope you took time to read through Philippians this last week, but if you didn't, I hope you will do it this coming week, as I've encouraged you each week to do it. Last time in this letter, we finished up our study of verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4. Today, we're going to be focusing in on verses 10 through 14 of chapter 4, 10 through 14. In this final section of the letter, I'll just give you a, a heads up before we actually read through it. In this final section, what Paul does is he acknowledges the financial support that he had recently received from the church at Philippi via one of their faithful members, whose name is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had traveled all the way from Philippi to Rome, where Paul was, under house arrest, and awaiting trial. We will read from verse 10 all the way to verse 20 for the sake of context, but again, today's message is going to be drawn from verses 10 through 14, and then next week we'll come back to the remainder of this section. But before we read this section, I want to point out that it contains one of those popular Bible verses that Christians are well known for taking out of its context and using it to mean something that it was never intended to mean by the author. The uh, verse that I'm talking about is verse 13. Verse 13. Go ahead and look at it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The him in the verse is a reference to Christ. So then the statement is, basically, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But beloved, listen carefully. What does Paul mean by that exactly? Does he mean that there is nothing he or, or any other Christian who's empowered by Christ can't do? Can they fly? Well, of course not, Jeremy. That's silly. Okay. But being ripped from its context, this Bible verse has been, has been used to encourage Christians, not that they could fly, but that, that whatever challenges they might face in life, they can overcome or, or conquer them through Christ, or that they can achieve all their good goals or overcome their illness, or disease, or pass that exam, or climb that mountain, or win that game, or even lift that weight, and so on, and so forth. I found a humorous cartoon online that illustrated the misuse, really, of, of this verse. It shows a man trying with all of his, his might to open the lid of a jar. And he, he's holding it and he's straining. And he's saying, you can see the little bubble above his head. He's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And his wife walks up in the cartoon and says, it's a pickle jar, Tom. Twist the lid, not scripture. And to that I say, amen, sister, amen. Beloved, I, I hope today uh, will give those of you who maybe hold a twisted understanding, because you don't know any better, uh, and so you hold a twisted understanding of verse 13, I hope it will give you a much greater appreciation of this verse, this message, and, and that you will find this verse then to be incredibly helpful to your life as you come to rightly, rightly understand it. So, I have titled this message, uh, The Secret of Contentment. The Secret of Contentment. Let me go ahead and do what I said I was going to do, which is read from verse 10 to verse 20, so... 
Go ahead and follow along with me now in your copy of God's word, beginning in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. There's the entire context. And let's just dive in now. So we'll begin with verse 10. Verse 10. And again, we're only going to be looking at verses 10 through 14 and uh, working through those. So again, verse 10, let me read it, and I'll be making comments now as I go through the passage. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length, at length, what is that? At last is how other translations have it, at last. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last. The Greek word there that's either translated at length in the ESV or at last in other translations, it serves as a marker of culmination, of culmination. In this case, a, a culmination of a time of inactivity or dormancy, a culmination, a complete time of ac- a time and completed of inactivity or dormancy. Hold that thought, all right? I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length or at last you have revived your concern for me. Revived. Also translated renewed or again expressed your concern for me. The Greek verb translated revived or renewed or again expressed, it it pictures a plant blooming again after a period of dormancy, all right? So from winter to spring, think of that picture in your head. So then after a a season of dormancy, is what Paul is saying, your concern for me has bloomed again, all right? That's the idea. After a season of dormancy, at last, Your concern for me has been renewed, revived, has bloomed again. And then not wanting to be misunderstood, Paul clarifies. Look back at the passage. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last or at length you have revived or again expressed your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity So that's verse 10. Let me read in a couple of other translations verse 10 to help you uh, make sure we're all grasping what Paul is getting at. In the IV, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. All right, here it is in the NET. Just listen, and I wish... This is where I wish we were together because we used to have our, you know, our screens on the left and right and I would be able to pop stuff up there so you could see it. So you just have to you know, hear it, pay attention and hear it and see it in your mind's eye. 
But this is in the NET. Verse 10. I have great joy in the Lord because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. Now, I know you were concerned before, but had no opportunity to do anything. All right? So a few additional things I want to point out about verse 10. Paul's great rejoicing is is not due, and remember, this is to acknowledge their financial gift. That's what this section is about. But Paul's great rejoicing is not due to the financial gift per se. I want you to notice that. He does not say, I rejoice in the Lord greatly for this gift or for the gift that you gave through Epaphroditus. But rather, his rejoicing is due to their concern for him, their concern for him that was again made evident or or shown or expressed in their sending of Epaphroditus to deliver to Paul their financial support. He rejoices then in in really what the gift represents or or what it means or what was behind uh, the gift. Paul will continue, as we will see, to clarify his acknowledgement of their financial support in verse 11, but you could understand the first part of verse 10 like, like this. Paul rejoices greatly in the Lord because the church at Philippi had shown themselves once again in a tangible way to be a church that truly cares about Paul and his mission and are indeed true partners with him in the gospel and like him desire with all their heart to see the gospel go forth or advance. Paul rejoices greatly in the Lord, beloved, because, specifically in the Lord, because it was again apparent that God was indeed at work in his brothers and sisters in Christ at Philippi, and that his gospel efforts among them were not in vain, but were being used by the Lord to bring forth this good fruit their active and continuous partnership in Paul's life and and specifically in his ministry, in his ministry of advancing the gospel, of making known the person and saving work of Jesus Christ. All right? This, what Paul says here, really, at the end of the letter, it it should remind us of what he said at the opening of the letter, at the beginning of the letter. It's the same idea, the same thought, except here at the end of the letter, he's specifically acknowledging their financial gift. But in the beginning of the letter, he said it this way. In chapter 1, verse 3, the third verse of the letter, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, in reference to the church of Philippi, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, why Paul, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, the first day that they heard it, that he brought it to them and they became followers of Jesus Christ, from the first day until now, many years later. And they have continued to partner with Paul in a number of ways, but a very significant way in supporting him over the years financially. Now, looking back at the second part of verse 10, where it says, you were, and he's clarifying here so that they don't misunderstand, you were indeed concerned for me, but you you had no opportunity, or as the NET puts it, now I know you were concerned before, but, but had no opportunity to do anything. As I said, the Philippians had made a habit of financially supporting Paul as verse 15 and 16 of chapter 4, which we just read a minute ago, uh, make clear. Now, we don't know why the Philippians, or the church at Philippi, 
We don't know why for some period of time that they lacked the opportunity to show or express their concern for Paul and his ministry in this tangible way. That is through material aid, through financial support. We don't know, right? We can speculate, but that's all it would be. But whatever the circumstances might have been that prevented that from occurring for a period of time, for a season, when the opportunity to support Paul with material aid opened up, they seized it. They seized it. Why? Because their love for Paul and his gospel ministry had continued from the very first day they had come to believe in the saving Lord that Paul preached to them and continued until now or the writing of this letter, which was a period now of about 10 years. Now we come to verse 11, and we're making our way uh, to that, that verse, verse 13, but you've got to you got to understand the context. Otherwise, you totally miss what verse 13 is really talking about. So now we come to verse 11. Not that I am, look back at the text, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Another translation, more literal, the New American Standard Bible, it puts it this way. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul continues to clarify here. Why? Because he doesn't want his readers to, to misunderstand what he is saying, first of all. And because he is going to teach them something very important for their Christian lives. And by extension, us as well. Paul wants to make very clear here that his rejoicing that he just referenced is not a result of having material needs met by their financial support since he has learned to be content in whatever circumstances he finds himself. One commentator explains it this way. Listen. Paul, again, commenting on verse 11, immediately disclaims that what he has said about rejoicing springs from a sense of need that has now been met by the Philippians' gift. His is not the joy of one who considers himself to be in dire financial straits and whose poverty is alleviated by the timely arrival of Epaphroditus with the money. Another commentator just <laughs> kind of puts it this way, a little more simply. It is not the joy of a poor person whose need has been met. The uh, scholar I was quoting just a minute ago goes on to say, the apostle makes no comment about his actual financial circumstances. Instead, he simply claims that he has not written in language dictated by want. Therefore, the supply of such a want cannot be the motive for his joy. Paul then gives the reason for not mentioning to his friends any sense of need. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Paul then, in verse 12, elaborates now on this matter of, of having learned to be content in whatever circumstances he might find himself. And this is where he's going with his discussion. This is where he's driving. So he uses this opportunity. It's just beautiful. He uses this opportunity uh, as he closes out the letter to acknowledge the gift that the church gave to him via Epaphroditus. And in so doing, teaches them a lesson about Christian contentment. Look now at verse 12. 
So again, he's elaborating on what he just said. I know how to be brought low. Okay, in the context, it's, it's economics that we're talking about. It's financial. So I know how to be brought low financially. That's the context. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Again, what's the context? It's economics. It's financial. It's monies. So I know how to abound. It's economic prosperity he's talking about. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Let me read to you um, another translation. I just find, and I pick these because I think they're helpful. As we look at the text, we study the text, we're thinking about what is, what is Paul saying here? I think this, these are helpful, uh, these other translations. So let me read it. It's the New American Standard Bible, chapter 4, verse 12. Listen. I know how to get along with humble means. So poverty, that's what he's talking about. And I also know how to live in prosperity. Now, when you hear prosperity, don't think uh, filthy rich, okay? The idea of prosperity for Paul would be having more than one needs or, or being amply supplied, right? So I, I know how to live in poverty. I know how to live in prosperity. I know how to live with not enough. I know how to live with more than enough. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of, being, both of having abundance and suffering need. Okay? Again, he's elaborating on his con- comments about being content in whatever circumstance he finds himself. Let me read an, uh, one more translation to you, but I'll begin in the second part of verse 11. This is the NET. This is how the NET translates 11b through 12. I have learned to be content in any circumstance. Verse 12, I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment, which is where I drew the title from. The secret of contentment. I drew it from this translation. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing. Now, that translation, the NAT, they have a note, okay, in their translation telling you that the words of contentment, when it says, I have learned the secret of contentment, that the words of contentment are not there in the Greek text. They have been supplied by the translators, but they point out those words are implied by Paul's remarks at the end of verse 11, which is why I included the end of verse 11 for you in reading that translation. Let me do it again. I have learned to be content in any circumstances. Next sentence. I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Because that's what's implied. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing. Paul says, look, or this is what he's basically saying, look, I have found myself on both ends of the economic spectrum. I have lived in poverty, and I have lived with more than enough. Yet, I have learned in these contrasting circumstances to be content. I have learned the secret of contentment in any and every circumstance. I have learned, if you will, how to be satisfied or at ease regardless of very different circumstances. For that matter, any circumstances that I might find myself in. Before I, uh, before I talk about that Greek word translated, I have learned the secret, I have learned the secrets. One Greek word translated, I have learned the secret. I want to point out a few other things to you for, for your consideration. Paul says he had learned how to be content when he had gone hungry or was in need. Okay? The word translated hungry, the Greek word, it means to feel the pangs 
the deep pains of lack of food. You know, we, we throw the word hungry around uh, in a way that really probably isn't, we got a little, I feel so hungry because, you know, Rrr. but true hunger is like not eating for a long period of time. You really start to have incredible pains. Uh, your body's withdrawing because of its lack of food. So the word translated hungry means to feel the pangs of lack of food. And the word need that he talks about, those circumstances of having need, means to be lacking or to go without. Basic things that a person needs to live. One commentator says this about those circumstances. He says this, and this is what I wanted to draw out and uh, have you consider. Some physical pain is inherent in these experiences of hunger and need. And then he says this, contentment does not mean the absence of pain. It does not mean the absence of pain. Let me say that again. Since physical pain is inherent in these experiences of hunger and need, remember, while he was in those circumstances, he, was ab- he had learned how to be content in them. So contentment does not mean the absence of pain, and yet, uh, that is what we might think. If I, could just, if I could just get rid of this pain, whatever it may be, in this case, the pain of, of real hunger or not having things that you really need, but if I could just get rid of this pain, then I could be at ease. I, I could be satisfied. And yet, that's not the case, not with Christian contentment. That's not what Paul's talking about. In fact, he was experiencing pain. He would have been in those circumstances, and yet he was content, okay? So something to consider. Paul also spoke of, of learning to be content when he had abundance, all right? So this is the opposite side, the contrast, from on the other end of the spectrum, of the economic spectrum. He said he, he had learned to be content when he had abundance or plenty, some of them might say, look, if I had more than I needed financially or materially speaking, well, then I would be content. Okay, a couple of things, though, to consider. That would mean, if that's what you're saying, if that's what you're thinking, that would mean that you tie your contentment to certain circumstances. Right? You need these circumstances, or if you had these circumstances, then you would be content. Just like I, I spoke of the issue of pains. It's similar to just saying, if I didn't have this pain, then I could be content. But with this pain, there is no way. In this case, it's on the other side. If I was living in abundance, well, then I would be content. It's only because I don't have that I am not content. So I would say that's not what Paul's doing. He's not tying his contentment to any circumstances. And especially circumstances that could change in a moment, like having plenty or being on this side of the economic spectrum where you're doing well, you have more than you need. If you tie your contentment to such things, then, well, when they fly away or disappear as they're known to do, then I guess your contentment is done. You've lost your satisfaction, your joy. And in addition to that, I, I, would ask, I would ask this, if you're thinking that, well, look, if I, if I had more than I needed, I would be content. <laughs> you know, it's just because of the struggle I'm in. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a low level uh, for, in this case, in this context of the economic level, and, and that's why I, f- I can't be content. Such a struggle. But, you know, if I had a lot, then I would certainly be content. (laughs) Uh, I want to ask you, why do you think you would be content if you lived in prosperity? Why do you think that? As someone has said, (laughs) more money, more problems. Someone else has said that wealth breeds discontentment. Now, it doesn't it may breed it. It doesn't mean you, you have to be discontent, okay? Because Paul was not. But the temptation is there. It, it, it exists within uh, prosperity and wealth. 
A first century philosopher put it this way, the owner of five couches goes looking for 10, and the owner of 10 tables buys up as many again. And though he has lands and money in plenty, is not satisfied, but bent on more, losing sleep and never sated with any amount. Never sated with any amount. It means uh, he's never full. It doesn't matter how much he gets. He, his hunger remains. He's not satisfied, actually. John Rockefeller, a billionaire in the early 1900s, was asked this question, how much money is enough? Okay? And he was ultra, 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 ultra wealthy. He didn't just have more than enough. He, he had gobs. Okay? He had gobs. And he was asked, how much money is enough? And he responded, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Still not satisfied. Still not content. Still not at ease. But wanting more. It breeds. It can breed discontentment. And it brings with it a host of all kinds of other concerns and, and uh, management, if you will. One writer said this concerning Paul's contentment, even in prosperity. He says, not all of Paul's life was characterized by financial hardship. There were times when he experienced great prosperity. But even when Paul had more than enough for his needs, he did not succumb to the temptation to finding his satisfaction in such material abundance right so think on these things as we're reading uh, this letter from paul to the church of philippi think on these things that i'm talking to you about in regard to contentment and what paul's teaching us now back to the word paul used that is translated i have learned the secret i have learned it's one greek word i have learned the secret as the net puts it in verse 12 in any and every circumstance i have learned the secret of contentment, because that's what's implied based on the context. One scholar says this about that word. The rare Greek word found only here in the New, Te only here in the New Testament, it's not anywhere else in the New Testament, was a technical term in the Hellenistic mystery religions for being initiated into the mysteries by going through sacred rituals. So that's not how Paul's using it. But it was also, the writer says, used metaphorically, not in a technical way, but metaphorically for gaining insider knowledge. The word was used metaphorically for gaining insider knowledge. The scholar goes on to say, this term that Paul uses draws a line between those on the outside who do not know and those on the inside who know. By using this term, Paul claims that he has gained insight by being on the inside. The next verse explains that being on the inside means being in Christ, all right? What is the next verse? It's verse 13. <laughs> this verse that is, as I mentioned in the intro, all too often ripped out of its context and used to mean something that Paul never intended it to be used for. The next verse, 413, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That could also be translated this way, beloved. I can do all things in him, in him who strengthens me. Commenting on that variance of translation, one scholar says this. Although the preposition in, because that's what's there, in can express Agency, so in other words, through, not in, but through. Paul's frequent, frequent use 
of the in Christ or in him phrase that we find throughout the New Testament in his writings, his frequent use of that phrase to express union with Christ, because that's what you find everywhere else, it supports then interpreting this preposition as an expression of the relationship of incorporative union. All right, so in other words, you could read it this way, rightly. In living union, instead of through, in living union with the one who gives me strength. Intimate union with Christ is the source of Paul's strength. And I'll just say it now, the secret to his contentment in any and all circumstances. Another scholar saying the same type of thing says it is better to understand the phrase instead of through him who strengthens me, to understand it as in vital union with the one who strengthens me. Of course, that one being Christ. It's not a huge, uh, super big, significant difference, but it is a difference and it's worth noting. This union with Christ then, this union with him, being in union with him is the secret of true contentment in any and every circumstance, beloved. Also, just as we continue to look at verse 13, in the Greek, all things, all things is is placed at the beginning of the sentence. It's emphatic. It's, and so, just remember the context. It, verse 13 comes after verse 12, right? So after he says what he says in verse 12, then he effectively, what he says in the Greek is, all things, after he says what he says in verse 12, all things I can do in living union with the one who strengthens me. As I, as I stated Before, verse 13 does not exist by itself in the Bible, even though people treat it that way. It it has a context, and we must read it and understand it in light of its context. Otherwise, we won't get it right. We won't get it right, and people don't. One Bible translation puts puts it this way. Okay, verse 13. I can do all this through him or in him who gives me strength. I can do all this, right? Context. A scholar says this translation wisely adds the pronoun this to limit the meaning of all in light of the context, right? This is not in the original, but it's added so that you don't misunderstand what Paul is saying. There's a limitation based on the context of what all things are that Paul is talking about. Paul, so let me me state it uh, as clearly as I can. Paul has learned to be content in all things or all circumstances because of his relationship with Christ who gives him strength. Beloved, that's what, the, that's what verse 13 is talking about. That's what it's talking about. Not, I can conquer the mountains, you know, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this job promotion because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay? Um... Or as I said before, I'm going to pass this test because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, I hope you studied for the test. Otherwise, you're going to fail it. You know, you see what I'm saying? I can lift this weight, this heavy weight above my head because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, not if you don't have the muscle capacity for that. Not if you haven't trained for that. You aren't going to be doing that. That's not what the passage means. Its meaning is so much greater and fuller and honestly helpful for us as, as Christians living in a, a broken, messed up world where our circumstances are often 
uh, difficult. And Paul is saying, I have learned the secret to contentment in any and all circumstances, and it is my relationship with Jesus Christ and the strength that I find in him, regardless of the circumstances, good, bad, whatever. My contentment's not found in them, it's found in my relationship with him, my dependence on him, my hope in him, the strength that I find in him. One writer says, in reference to verse 13, he says, we too can find ability to do all things. And then he clarifies, right? Because he studied the passage as well, instead of ripped it out of its context. We too can find ability to do all things, meaning meet all circumstances with contentment. We too can meet all circumstances with contentment in him, Christ, who infuses us with dynamic power. Of course, this, uh, this union, this relationship, it's not intended to be passive, but active, right? It's an active relationship. We're going to him. We're, we're seeking to know him, to know him and know him more and, and more fully and spending time with him and praying and and learning of him through his word and trusting in him. So it's, a, it's not a passive relationship, it's an active. And in that active relationship is where we find this dynamic power that we might be content in any and every circumstance. And that's the, that's the best place to find it because he doesn't change. He remains the same. His strength is always there, always steady, always available. His promises are certain and sure. And I could go on and on. To, f- to find contentment in circumstances is a dangerous game, is a dangerous game because they're always changing. Or you may, they may never uh, develop the way you think they need to develop in order for you to be content. Therefore, you will be unsatisfied all of your life, discontent, not at ease, frustrated, anxious, upset, angry, feeling hopeless, feeling on edge. Another writer says this, contentment is learned by being in Christ in any and every situation. I like that. It goes on to say this, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, Paul has learned the secret of being content because he has learned to keep his focus on his relationship with Christ, not on the fluctuating circumstances of his life. Beloved, soak that in. Soak that in. Finally, we have verse 14, right? Verse 14 follows uh, verse 13, obviously, but he says in verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So after he says all that, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Another translation says it this way. Nevertheless, you, you did well to share with me in my trouble. Again, you know, this is a letter. And so like with any writing, something you write, it can be misunderstood because you're not there to, if you see them going one way and you can read that, oh boy, they're misunderstanding me, you can explain. So you have to like go the extra mile when you're writing stuff out if you want to make sure you're not misunderstood. Which is why I... I I don't really love communicating uh, through emails or text sometimes because it's, sometimes, I love the technology, but because if you're trying to communicate something that could be misunderstood, it just makes it really difficult. So it's always better, you know, to talk face-to-face. But Paul didn't have uh, the opportunity to speak with them face-to-face. He had to, this is his means to communicate with them, and so he goes oh, above and beyond to make sure he's not misunderstood. So 
He doesn't want to be misunderstood. He doesn't want to have his readers draw the wrong conclusion from what he just said. See, Paul's contentment, as he just spoke about, did not mean their gift wasn't important or unappreciated. He's not saying, you know what, hey, you know, I mean, I, I don't even need it, man. I mean, I don't even feel like I know. I'm, I'm content. I mean, you kind of waste No, not at all. Not at all. He rejoices in, this, in, this, in, in the concern that is expressed through this tangible gift. And certainly he no doubt uh, benefited by this financial gift given to him by the church at Philippi. But he, he's, he's, he's also teaching them something about contentment. That he's, he's not someone who, I really need, I need this so bad, I need this, I, I, I'll die without it, I gotta have it, and then he gets it, oh yes, I'm so great, that, so thankful that I got this. No, he, the gift came to him in a state of contentment. Now where he was, as far as financially, economically, or things he may have needed, that's not the point. The point is he, he was already content, so as it came, he's grateful but he's not rejoicing because this thing filled his strong desire and want. Rather, because he was content, he was satisfied. He had learned the secret of contentment. In any and every circumstances, he is able to be content because of his union, his, his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ who strengthens him in any and every circumstance and gives him the ability to be at ease. And to be satisfied regardless of the circumstances. See? One writer says, The Philippians could have taken Paul's assertions that he was content without their support to mean that he did not value their support. Of course he valued it. Paul's commendation, it was kind of you, or you did well here at the end, expresses his approval, right, of the Philippians' faithful and sacrificial partnership with him in his troubles. He goes on to say his contentment without the Philippians' support did not diminish his commendation for their support. And that's how he, he concludes that thought. Well, beloved, that, that concludes our time and the message today. And um, I, ho- I hope I've given you, I, I mean, maybe you already knew um, understood this passage in its context, and and so for you, I would just you know ask, are you are you living under it? You know, it's one thing to know what what the Bible means, like truly what it means, what it's saying, and then it's another to to come under it and to pattern my life after it and align myself in the way I think and act and and feel uh, with it. So for you who knew what it was, fantastic. Now I just uh, encourage you, exhort you, uh, that you, you know then the secret to contentment, and I, and I, I pray that you would uh, be utilizing and be going there, going to Christ in your relationship with him and that active relationship with him to find your satisfaction regardless of what's going on in your life, good or bad, that you might find ease in him right cuz it's there for you and it's solid and secure and it never goes away but for those of you who you know y- you've been using this passage in a way that's really not appropriate and that's how you think of the passage then i hope i've given you right thinking and i have given you right thinking but i hope you'll change your thinking about the passage and think rightly biblically about it and then let that have its way with you. It's so to me so much more meaningful than I can pass a test. <laughs> I can do all things. I can I can get off the lid on the pickle jar. Oh my goodness. Wow. Uh, how we have uh, by ripping it out of its context depleted it of its power this passage, its power and its and and what was intended to be its purpose in our life that we might learn uh, Christian contentment, how we can be content in any and every circumstance, just as Paul uh, Paul was. With that, beloved, I, um, I'll close in prayer, but I uh, pray that uh, you'll, again, I'll be giving you updates, uh, Lord willing, later this week as we try to figure out uh, where to go from here because we know that this we can't keep doing this forever. We, we have no desire to keep doing this forever. We want to get back to our gathering as soon as possible, but we're, uh, we're working through 
the options that are available to us, which aren't many, and trying to figure out what, what might be best uh, in this situation. But if we're living according to this, this scripture, then, then we can be content as we, uh, as we find contentment and the strength for contentment in our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, I, I thank you for this rich, 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 rich letter. My goodness, uh, there are so many uh, critical, necessary, important truths that we have picked up along the way as we've moved through this letter, little by little, verse by verse, section by section, and just I'm, I, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful, Father, that you have provided it and preserved it uh, all these years, so that we might have it and made it that it was uh, readily available uh, in our language. And even the gift of language is, is, is a gift from you that, that you would then be able to communicate uh, with your people in a, in a way that they could understand. And uh, God, we're just, we just want to say thank you. Father, I also want to just ask for forgiveness. We, we just treat... <sighs> We can, we are guilty of just treating this treasure as really nothing. And there's so much here, so much for our souls, so much for our, our faith and our Christian life. Things we really need and, and too often we put this away and, and we suffer needlessly because of it. And, or we go trying to find answers somewhere else, and then we get the wrong, the wrong answers, the wrong solutions. Father, thank you for this book, and thank you uh, for this letter specifically. And I just pray that you would continue to work in us through it. Help us, help us, uh, help us to uh, to be your people here in a way that honors you and glorifies you, and help us, Father, to to keep taking advantage of the of the rich treasure here that you gave us not to not to blow it off or to ignore it or to think little of it but to think rightly about it and to consume it in full and benefit uh, from its nourishment we ask your blessing uh, on us in Jesus name amen